Well, we've had quite a, quite a time, haven't we? Yeah. And uh, I'm so thrilled to, to see God working in hearts. And it's always encouraging when someone comes up and says, you know what, I'm going to go back through those messages and, and kind of devour it and get some things out of it. And I hope that if you, miss, if, I hope that if you missed a night that you're able to get a copy of it uh, and uh, sit at home and listen to it. I believe God uses his word over and over again. And you may know somebody that needed one of those messages. And if you do, find the, find the messages, get a copy of them, and give them to them. And uh, you can extend the ministry of our great God. Amen? Oh, by the way, uh, some of those messages are online if you go to um, sermonaudio.com, I think I've got about 51 sermons on there, and some of them uh, I even preached here, so you can, you can get them that way as well. But uh, I had a guy call me up. This is an interesting story. God works in people's lives, I'm telling you. I was in a church in Wisconsin, and uh, the pastor said to me, I'm going to be baptizing a young man. He's married, has two children. But he was into drugs and alcohol, and he was a drug dealer, uh, got into all kinds of problems, and um, his wife was ready to, lose, uh, to leave him. They, they were going to foreclose on his house. Uh, just he had all kinds of problems. Drug dealers were coming after him for money. And uh, he said, I've got to find God. I've got I, I to quit living the way I'm living and uh, he got up just before the baptism. He's standing there at the baptistry with the pastor. And, and the pastor said, our brother would like to give, uh, he needs to say something before he's baptized. In fact, he even told the pastor, I don't know whether you want to baptize me because I have lived a bad life. And, um, but uh, after he talked with him and made sure that he was truly born again. But here's what happened. He used to ride the bus on Sunday when he was a little kid. And he got baptized, not because he'd gotten saved, he got baptized because he knew it would make the workers happy. And uh, he got baptized in that church, he got baptized in another church. He said, but I did not know the Lord, and I knew I had never accepted Christ. But he said, in the basement, I cried out to God, and I, I got saved. And then he came to the church and got assurance and the pastor baptized them. But isn't it interesting that there are people that may have been touched by this ministry years ago? And uh, there's no doubt, if you knock every door in this town or you knock every door in this county, you will meet people, many people, that used to come here. And for whatever reason, they're not here. Uh, that's not your issue. Uh, what needs to happen is we need to love them and seek to bring them to the Lord. And I want to tell you, I, I uh, received such a blessing. So he calls me up on the phone the other day. He goes, hey, brother, you remember me, Salazar? I said, yeah, I do. How you doing, brother? He goes, I've listened to every message you have online. I said, oh, you are a glutton for punishment, I must say. <laughs> he goes, you keep doing what you're doing because... That has really encouraged me, and it's helped me, and that's what it's all about. Wouldn't you agree? Let's stand together uh, there in Luke chapter 9. The Bible says in verse 1, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and to send them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor script, nor bread, nor money, neither uh, have uh, two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet for a testimony against them. Now, Follow that over and jump all the way over to verse 54. Would you do that? Verse 54, beginning in verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because uh, his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? And he turned and he rebuked them. And he said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to what? Destroy men's lives. The devil's good at doing that. But to what? Save them. And they went. I want to speak on the subject of what spirit are ye of? Uh, you know, in, in the home, there are different spirits. In the church, there are different spirits. At the workplace, there are different spirits. And all of us are affected by the spirit that we carry. Now, if you're born again, you have the spirit of the living God. How about that? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's always there to tell you what Jesus wants you to do. How many of you have been touched by the Spirit of God to where you knew God wanted you to do something and you didn't do it? Would you please raise your hand? All of us, all of us are guilty of the Spirit speaking to us, telling us what Jesus wants us to learn and wants us to do. And we don't do it. Why? It's because our spirit is not right. Our spirit. And even the spirit of God. Now this is hard to believe. All that God is able to do, yet, our own spirit can hinder his spirit. Think about that for a minute. And we must not let our spirit override the Spirit of God. Now here in chapter 9, we find he grabs the 12 disciples together and he gives them four amazing things that they're to do. He empowers them. Notice with me, the first thing he gave them was power and authority over devils. Now, how many times has the devil been bugging you? Wouldn't you like to have power and authority over the devil? The evil influences in your life? Oh, not only that, but he gave them power to cure diseases. He also sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, can you imagine being one of the 12 and going, wow, I've got the power. <laughs> God has given, Jesus has given to me the power and authority to go forth and do these miracles for His purpose and for His glory. What a privilege it is to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go over with me to chapter, let's go over to chapter, let's see, chapter 10. It goes after these things, the Lord appear, appointed uh, other 70 and what did he do? He sent them two and two before his face unto every city and place whether he himself would come. So he sent out ambassadors, 70 of them. So the group is going from just 12 now to 70. If you go further in the scriptures, you get into the book of Acts, there's 120. That's pretty good. 12, 70, 120. I think things are multiplying. What do you think? Then we get to 3,000. Then 5,000. And then multitudes. And the Bible says the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ increased. But also the persecution did. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, what? Suffer persecution. Are you willing to suffer 
in order that the cause of Jesus Christ may go forward? It all depends on what kind of a spirit you're of. Well, let's go back to chapter 9, and let's look at these different spirits. He has sent them out to do this great work. He's given them the ability and the power and the authority to do four things. I want to give you the six spirits of the disciples. The six spirits of the disciples. Let's see how these disciples do with the power that's been extended to them. We begin there in verse 12 of chapter 9. Read with me. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, this is to the Lord Jesus now, they're talking to Jesus, the one that's given them the power. He, sa- he says to these twelve, say to Jesus, send the multitude away, that they may go into the town and country, round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. I'd like you to write down the word, the an inconsiderate spirit. The first spirit that we find in the disciples is an inconsiderate spirit. Now, how were they inconsiderate? First of all, they were ordering God around, (laughs) ordering Jesus around. (laughs) Can you imagine that? The Lord gives you the power to do great and mighty things, and then they tell Jesus what to do. Kind of like Martha. Remember Martha? She was cumbered about with much serving, and she even complained to the Lord Jesus. She was ordering the Lord Jesus, tell Mary to help me. When you have an inconsiderate spirit, you are more interested in yourself than you are others. Remember that little poem, Others, Lord, let let others, let this my motto be, that I may give the gospel to others, that they may hear of thee. Our life is not to consist of us, it's to consist of those that need the Lord, others, Lord. Let's help others. Let's have a considerate spirit, not an inconsiderate spirit. Now you, Lord, you you just send them away. Now I love Jesus' sense of humor. Look with me there in verse 13. But he said unto them, give ye them to eat. (laughs) Give ye the, uh, go ahead, you know that power I gave to you? Go ahead and give them to eat. Yeah, right. Of course. And notice what it says here. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. They're proving that they don't have the power. Notice, for they were about 5,000 men, and he said unto them, make them sit down by fifties into a company, and they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looked up to heaven. He blessed them and brake and gave unto the disciples to set before the multitude. And when they did eat and were all filled, they and there were taken up of the fragments that remained unto them twelve. Notice, notice, twelve baskets. That's a nice, that's a nice dig on the disciples. Here, let me give you your basket. You see, when you have an inconsiderate spirit, you're more concerned about yourself than you are others. Why is it we're more concerned about ourselves than we are about others? How come we have trouble getting along even with our own family? We're inconsiderate to them. You know what's really weird in the families today? And it's been happening for years. It even happens in the church. Sometimes we we treat the people in the church better than we treat our own family. The ones that love us the most, the ones that have committed themselves to us, we mistreat and are inconsiderate toward, and yet we treat, treat other people good. This is a problem that I had when I was pastoring. I, I you know, I, any, any, hey, anybody in the church that called for my help, as a, I was there for them. Then my wife would ask me to do something. Nah, I'll get it later. I was inconsiderate. Isn't that something? You're good to people that you want to influence and you want to impress, but to those that love you most, sometimes they are the neglected ones. Many families neglect their children, but they treat everybody else real nice. Isn't that something? 
In some towns, people, when a man passes away, everybody will come to, to the funeral and they'll go, wow, he was a wonderful guy, and yet their kids were so disappointed with him because he had time for everybody else, but he had no time for them. There was a large family. This man uh, provided everything his children needed. He was a good provider, but he never spent any time with his kids. He was always working and laboring. And you know what happened? Uh, when he got old, uh, they, the kids got together and they put him in a, in, a, uh, in a nursing home. Oh, was he ripping mad about that. He thought, that is so inconsiderate. All I've done, put my kids through college, did all these things for them, and they, they hate me. And he was really mad at them. And boy, they stayed away because he was just, he was upset. He was sitting there one day thinking about that, and he goes, you know, I was wondering why my children have no time for me and the way I've treated them. You know, the truth is they don't really even know me. I was never there for them when they were growing up and never had any time. I was inconsiderate of their needs, their real needs. You know, you can't throw money at kids and it come out good. You need to throw love at your kids if you want it to come out good. And time with them, looking in their eye, talking to them, understanding where they're at, praying with them and helping them, taking some consideration that this is my first work is to love and help and nurture my children. Well, he called them all up. And all the kids are going, oh, man, we've got to go see Dad. They got there. They're all gathered around him. And he goes, you know what? I want to thank you for putting me in the nursing home. They're like, what? He said, you know what? I never had time for you when you were growing up, and I can understand why you wouldn't have time for me. And I want to apologize to you for the, for the time I didn't spend with you and the time I didn't invest in your life, and I, I want you to forgive me for being a lousy father. And boy, the kid's heart broke. You know, he spent very little time in that nursing home after that. They were always having him over to their houses, and he, he was gone with the family a lot. Why? Because he admitted that he was inconsiderate of the ones that loved him the most. And I want to tell you Christians something. You're going to stand before God and you're going to look Jesus in the face. You don't want to stand before the Lord and say, I wish I had given you more. You don't want to stand before him one day and say, I had time for everything else, but I had no time for you. The second thing we see, the second spirit, is found there beginning in verse 28. Would you look there with me? And it came to pass after about eight days, after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And as they prayed, the fashion of their, his countenance was altered. Notice now this. This is a miracle. And his raiment was what? White and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men. Now notice who these men are. Moses and Elias. Can you imagine that? You talk about being in the inner circle. You talk about uh, not only having the power given you to do those four things, but now you're there and Moses and Elias show up. Can you imagine that? Who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with what? Sleep. I want you to write down an indifferent spirit. The second spirit is an indifferent spirit. Can you imagine falling asleep when Moses and Elias are there? Can you imagine falling asleep when Jesus is, has no doubt the Shekinah glory of God all over him? He is glowing. He is glistening. And uh, they are in the very presence of the Lord Jesus. And uh, the, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is there. And Moses and Elias, they're sleeping. I want to tell you something. If the church ever wakes up, it'll reach the world. Many Christians are fast asleep, spiritually. Oh, they're saved. They're going to heaven and everything. But as far as their influence 
um, and using the power that God's given to them, they're indifferent toward it. Hey, how, do, how can I have time to go visiting and share the message of Jesus Christ with others when I'm so consumed with all that I'm doing? And what you're doing, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's probably your job. But you know something? If you give the best of your life to things instead of to spiritual things, you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of God's blessing. Not only that, but you're robbing yourself of being able to influence the very generation that you're living with. Wow. If we have an indifferent spirit, oh, let somebody else do it. Oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. You're missing the blessings of God. You're missing the rewards that will be given out. You know, there are rewards, crowns that will be given out. The soul winner's crown will be given out. You know, I have an uncle named Uncle Frank. He's a soul winner. He's won many business people to the Lord, had a large air conditioning business, uh, Brown Nick in, in uh, Liverpool, New York, and uh, was, was very successful in his business. But you know what? He always was telling somebody about the Lord and brought many people to church. You see what he was doing? He was not indifferent to the gospel. We must not become indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that what? Believeth, but they've got to hear it. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they're sent? We cannot allow ourselves to be indifferent to spiritual things. Not in our family, not in our church, not even where we work. We ought to look for opportunities to influence people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, they fell asleep. They were indifferent. Number three, the third spirit that we find of the disciples is an uh, impatient spirit an impatient spirit. Notice this here in verse 33. And it came to pass, um, verse 32, And Peter and they that were with him uh, were heavy with sleep. And when they were awakened, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with them. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses and one for Elias. Notice and underline these words, not knowing what he said. He had an impatient spirit. An impatient spirit is when you speak before you think. <laughs> not knowing what he said. Can you imagine that? Here's the Lord Jesus. He's glowing. He's glistening. Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter comes up with this brain idea. Yeah. How many have ever been sleeping and you, you woke up and then you, you said some things and you didn't really remember what you said and it didn't make sense anyway and it says, oh, what did you say? Uh, you, you really weren't coherent. Uh, you, you really missed it. And, and, and here's where he messed up. He said, oh, let's, 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 let's create three tabernacles. One for you, Jesus. Yeah, we'd like to have one for you and one for Moses and one for Elias. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? We could, you know, and, he, and he didn't know really what he said. He spoke before he thought. And I want to tell you, I don't know whether if you can get a hold of God's attention very easily, but I want you to notice something here. While he thus spake, while he said those crazy harebrained things, because he was impatient, notice what happens. There came a cloud and overshadowed them. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden there's a cloud overshadowing them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, now, Peter gets a real rebuke right here. This is my beloved son, hear him. <laughs> Forget the tabernacle to Moses. Forget the tabernacle to Elias. I want you to hear one person, and that is my son, Jesus. You know what happens when we become impatient? We neglect the things that we ought to do, and we trump up the things that we want to do. And what it is, it's an attitude that is impatient. I don't have time to do what God wants me to do. Yet we have time for everything else. 
All of us have, what, 168 hours a week? You ought to write down for, the, for a whole week what you do and how many hours you give to everything. You would be shocked. My daughter put on Facebook that she spent like an hour or an hour or two on Facebook every day, and she goes, oh, man, I can't believe that. I spent so much time. And then uh, my, my daughter-in-law my, my daughter, uh, said, oh, we spent, uh, between the kids and I, we spent six hours. And she goes, that is ridiculous. You would shock yourself if you realized where you spend your time and what you do with your time. And then we have no time for God. I'd like you to learn to tithe your time. Amen. That means 16 hours a week you give to God. That'll include Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You still have some left. An hour with the Lord every day, and you still have some time left. Interesting, isn't it? And yet we've got time to watch crazy television... Movies that you say, I can't believe I just watched that. The time you spend playing stupid games, well, they're not really stupid games. They're just games that devour your time, and you waste your time. Why don't you find a good book and read it? Do something that nobody's doing anymore, is reading and meditating. You know what, how many know what meditating is? Thinking about what you read. I'll tell you right up front. I'll read a whole chapter of the Bible, and I thought about four different things. And it wasn't about what I was reading. So I have to go, you know, I didn't get anything out of that chapter because I was thinking about everything else. So I have to go back and start again. Otherwise, I don't get anything. We call that impatience. Um, I was talking with a pastor one time, and I, in fact, it was a missionary, and he said, you know, I, I write very short missionary letters because they don't read them anyway. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. We like sound bites. We don't want to read books. We don't want to read long missionary letters. In fact, you'll find that as you're going uh, surfing on the Internet, you won't, you won't read something if it's too long. It's got to be just little, little, little bites. Isn't that true? We are so impatient in our life that we can't sit down and even think a serious thought unless it's a troubling thought that we got into. When we come to the place where we meditate and we study the Word of God and we quit fooling around with all the stuff that, that takes our time, our precious time, we won't make the mistakes that, that we've been making when we take time to meditate, to read, to pray, to walk with God, to get involved in the ministries of the church and say, I want to have a part of every ministry in this church. I want to be actively involved in doing something for my Lord. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and say, you know, I had time for everything else, but I, I was impatient with taking time to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, may God help us in our impatience. Number four, I want you to write this down, an impotent spirit, an impotent spirit. Notice in verse 37, it came to pass that on the next day when they were come down from the hill, much people met him, and behold, a man of the company uh, cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child, and lo, a spirit taketh him. And he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruiseth him, hardly departing from him. Watch this statement right here. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. The very thing that God gave them power and authority to do, they had no power to do it. You will not have power with God until God takes over. When God is fully in charge, then the power of God comes upon you. 
we have gotten so good at doing everything in the flesh that when the Holy Spirit shows up, we say, nah, I can take care of this one. We need the Holy Spirit for everything that we do. Everything in the home, everything at the church, everything on the job, whatever we do, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. We must have the power of God. Now look what, look what Jesus said to his disciples. Look at verse 41. And Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? That word suffer means how long am I going to have to put up with you? You know, the stars never give God any trouble. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You know where, you know where the Lord's biggest problem is? Us. His, create, his created beings. Humanity. Those that are his children give him more trouble than anything else. And that's why he said to them, you're a generation that is perverse. You're faithless. And how long am I going to have to put up with your unfaithfulness? Wow. Bring thy sons to hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of who? Would you like that? Would you like it? How many of you would like the power of God if you knew you could get it? Would you wave at me? Would you like the power? It's right there. All you've got to do is take it. Remember how you took salvation? Wasn't that good? Well, well how would you like his power? How would you like to quit living in the flesh and living in the spirit instead? How would you like to have God's power upon you and just, oh, it, it's kind of like, wow. Why didn't I do this a long time ago? When people come to the end of themselves and they found the Lord to be totally sufficient, they don't want to go back to their old ways. You want the power? You want to get rid of that impotent spirit? He'll take it. He'll take it from you if you'll give it to him. Then I want you to notice the fifth spirit we find of the disciples. Now, they're not doing too good, are they? <laughs> These disciples aren't doing very good, are they? They're blowing it royally right here, aren't they? Look at verse 46. This will really get you. Then there arose a reasoning among them, among them that is the disciples, which of them should be the what? You're kidding, right? They were wondering which of them was going to get to be the greatest. You haven't done anything yet. All the disciples had just made one mistake after another and they had not gained the power of God to do those four things that God gave them to do. And now they're debating who's going to be the greatest among them? Are you kidding? How could this be? How could somebody think that they deserve something when their life doesn't even reveal that they deserve it? You know, God always gives his best to those that leave the choice with him. Yeah. yeah. When I was a little boy, you know, we'd go into the bathroom and sit on the throne, you know, and the, or on the wall was a little plaque that said only one life will soon be passed. You can tell me the rest of it, can't you? Only what's done for what? Christ will what? Last. Anything else, it's immaterial. But what's done for Christ, that lasts. And as we see here in this passage that they had a inflated spirit. Write that down. Number five, they had an inflated spirit. They thought more highly of themselves than they should have thought. You know, people get in trouble when they get proud. Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before what? Proud people often are brought down. 
There was a guy that was in the car show that I used to go to there at McDonald's. He had this awesome car. It was gorgeous. He said he had over $50,000 invested in it. You could eat off the engine. It was so beautiful and clean and nice. I mean, a hot rod of hot rods. Every time I'd see that, I'd go, man, that thing's gorgeous. He had his own business. He had a beautiful home. His wife told him one day, I'm done. And he lost his home. He lost his business. And he even lost his car. I saw him coming in on a motorcycle. I thought, that's interesting, because he was always, you know, he'd, he'd drive through there, you know, and everybody go, uh. He was riding a motorcycle now, parking it out in the parking lot. I thought, man, something's going on. He called me one Saturday night. He never called. He never gave me the time of day. I was a Baptist preacher. I took my old 60 Ford F100 pickup out there and sat there and passed out gospel tracts. Hey, I use it as a way of reaching people with the gospel. Amen. I'd have two chairs there, and some guys would come by and sit down. I'd talk to them about the Lord, or they'd just move right along. He called me up. I was so shocked to get a call from him, I didn't know who it was. He was, yeah, I'm the one that uh, goes out to the show, you know, you know, you, you, you know my car that I used to have. And he said, you going out to the, the meet tonight? And I said, yeah. He said, can you come by and pick me up? I knew where he lived because I drove by his house and saw his car there. Well, I drove by his house to pick him up. His car wasn't there. He got in the car with me in the pickup truck with me. We're going out to McDonald's. And man, I've never seen a man so broken. He literally poured out his heart to me, almost in tears. Man, I witnessed to him, tried to lead him to Christ. Ultimately, he moved away, and I, I never, got him, never was able to get him to come to church. But I want to tell you something. Here's a man that had everything, but he had absolutely nothing. We've got to fall out of love with possessions. And fall in love with Christ. It's not how much stuff we have. It's how much of God we have. And we can't allow ourselves to think more of ourselves than we ought to think. I remember one time my dad was helping four other pastors start a Christian school. It was the second Christian school in the state of New York. And uh, my dad was the one that was responsible to bring the kids to the, to the schoolhouse. They, they rented an old farmhouse, turned it into a school, and my, my dad was responsible to bring the students to school. And he, he took care of it. But he was always late. My dad's always late. I mean, he's shaving 20 minutes before he's supposed to be preaching. You know? I think I'm getting like him a little bit, my wife says. But anyway. So, uh, oh, man, the, the principal, one of the pastors, was getting really irritated with my dad. And, it, you, know, he, the, you know, that self-talk, when you're, you really want it, you'd like to tell him what you think, but you're, you're just stewing, and it's just, you're just getting more disgusted and irritated about it. And finally, he said, he said, Brother Knickerbocker, I need to see you in my office. And so he said, okay. So he came into the office. My dad's standing there. He's behind the desk. And he said, you know, Brother Knickerbocker, I'm sick and tired of you always coming in late with these kids. I guess he was ready for a fight. And my dad said, oh, Pastor Dreyer, I'm such a sinner. I'm a wicked, run, no good, lousy Christian. And I, I am ashamed that I've been late getting these kids here. And I, I beg your forgiveness. I'm so sorry that I've not done my job the way I should have done it. Would you, be, would you find it in your heart to forgive me? Oh, sure, Pastor Knickerbocker. Sure, I forgive you. Don't let it happen again. No. <laughs> Whatever they said, I don't know all that went on there. But the point was, when you admit your failure, that's where victory comes. Not saying, well, you know, it's a, I worked all last night from 11 to 7. It's hard for And make excuses for reasons why you can't do what you said you're going to do. That's an inflated spirit. And the, the ultimate end of an inflated spirit is 
Nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's the end of an inflated spirit. And from there on, it gets worse. And it's a sad thing. Number six. How do you think the disciples are doing? Not good, are they? Look with me at verse 54. Here we find that he, they told the, the, the disciples told Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven like Elias did? <laughs> and just burn, and crisp, make these crispy critters? Wouldn't it be good if we just... You know, there have been times I wanted to do that. I'm sorry. I, I admit my guilt. I've been guilty of thinking those thoughts over the years. Amen. I had one guy told me I wasn't doing evangelism right, and uh, he said, you're supposed to go to a church and spend a month there and really help them get some new people in their church. And, and uh, I, every year I came to preach for him, he'd say, you, don't, you, don't, you're not even, you guys don't even do evangelism right. And, uh, and so I said, well, I think you need to resign your church and go out and show us how to get it done. And I wasn't being a smart aleck. He said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So he sold, sold his car, sold his house, bought a beautiful fifth wheel, and he went out to show us evangelists how to get the job done. Amen. Amen. And he told me before he started, he goes, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can always take a church. I thought, he's in trouble already. But he went out there and he called me one day, said, man, these preachers don't take care of you financially. He said, man, I am struggling. He said, but boy, I'll tell you what, I praise the Lord because I, I checked out your itinerary and I've been calling some of those pastors and some of them are having me in. If it wasn't for your itinerary, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be on the road. <laughs> the steam. No, I didn't, I didn't get upset about it. I never even rebuked the guy for it. But then he took a church called me up and said, hey, you want to buy my fifth wheel and my, my uh, dually? Diesel dually? Oh, that'd be nice to have that, right? I said, I can't afford that. He goes, well, I'd like to see you get it if you could. I said, no, I can't do that. As soon as he sold the fifth wheel off, the church said, you can leave now. And he's not even going to church today. That's what an inflated spirit does to people. Some of the most miserable Christians I know are people that have an inflated spirit. They think God owes them. God can't use a person like that. Oh, may God help us to realize we're nothing. And he is everything. And oh, may we let him rule and reign in our lives. Notice, number six, the intolerant spirit. They said, let's just call down fire and consume these people that don't agree with us. <laughs> An intolerant spirit. It's easy to be intolerant of people that don't dot their I and cross their T just like you do. We, we, are, we, we are not to have an agenda. We are to find out what God wants us to do, and we're to do it with all of our heart. I, I tried when I pastored to get people to do things, but I discovered something. When I just said, Lord, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do, and I'm going to do it faithfully, and I'm going to let you take care of everything else. Sometimes pastors have to pump people up just to keep them coming. Almost bribe them to get things, to do things. When a person wants to please the Lord, you don't have to pump them up. You don't have to bribe them. All you have to do is just preach the Word of God and say, you want to get a blessing? Get involved in the service of the Lord. You know, one thing about my parents that I always loved was they never gave me a reason not to want to serve the Lord. Now you think about that for a minute. They never gave me a reason to not serve the Lord. And you know what? They taught me to enjoy the ministry, to enjoy the things of God, to see God working in people's lives, to see lives changed. 
Oh, I wish we saw more results, but you know what? The results don't belong to me. The day I quit counting numbers and checking offerings was a great day when I pastored. Always worried about, was the offering good? I've known preachers that had bad Mondays because the attendant wasn't what they thought it should have been and the offering wasn't what they thought it should have been. And there's a problem with that. It'll cause you to have an intolerant spirit. And that happens with every one of us. There are things that cause us to have an intolerant spirit. But when we realize it's the Lord's work, my family does not belong to me. It is the Daniel Knickerbocker family. But I'm not the leader. He is. Amen. I don't really have to worry about anything. I just have to do what God's told me to do. And that's where real true happiness comes. In closing, I would like to say that the Spirit of the Lord, the true Spirit of God, can take away these different spirits and can replace them with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to write down six words. You ready? Here's the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Write these words down. Just get the word, and you'll, you'll have the message. The Holy Spirit convicts. He convicts us of sin. Shows us that we're a sinner. Number two, he convinces us that we need to be saved. A person never gets saved, but what the Holy Spirit has to convince them that they're lost. All right, you with me? He convicts us, then he what? Convinces us. Then thirdly, he converts us. That's where the salvation comes. That's where the change takes place in the life of now a new believer in Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can bring us to the place where we are converted and saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, number four, he confirms in us that we are really saved. We call it a confirmation. When my father said to me, Daniel, I've never seen any indication that you're saved he was basically saying to me, I don't see any evidence. There's no confirmation in my heart that you're really saved. I was not living the Christian life like I should have been living it. You know why? Because I wasn't saved. And that's when I was converted. Yeah, 14 years old, I got saved. Oh, I was so excited. I told my dad, I got saved today. He goes, we'll see. And I'm glad he said that because anybody can say they're saved. I want proof that I'm saved. And it's the Holy Spirit that confirms in your actions that you're really saved. Then, number... I know what it is. What number is it? Five. Good. He conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry. He conforms us. He gets us out of our own mold and puts us in his mold. <laughs> Amen. We start living according to his, his will instead of our own will. Conforming to the image of Jesus Christ is the sanctified life where you are washed clean of those things in your life that ought to go. You're, you, you've gotten rid of the old and you've got the new now and you want to live for God and you, you're, you're constantly conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. You're only concerned about what you're doing. And then number six, he comforts us. Oh, the comfort of the Spirit of God is amazing. How many of you ever get discouraged? Raise your hand. I don't think we have any liars here. <laughs> you ever get discouraged? You ever get down in the mouth? I talked about pity parties yesterday, right? Or today, this morning. Is this Sunday? Yes, okay. 
I get confused what I preach sometimes. But um, he brings us to that place in our life where we don't want to be discouraged anymore. We don't want to pout anymore. We're tired of struggling with the flesh, and we just get rid of it. Get it out of here. Forget about it. Not going down that path anymore. I'm done with that. This negative thinking. I'm done with this discouragement. I'm done with this pity party stuff. I'm done with anything that would take me away from the sweet comfort of the Spirit of God. And I just want to just bathe in His love. And I want to please Him with all my heart. And the Holy Spirit will comfort you. I don't care what you're going through or have been through. I ask you the question, have you ever experienced the grace of God to go through a trial? Do you know what that is? When my mother was killed in an automobile accident, I went up into the bedroom and on my dresser was a picture of my mom and dad. In fact, the picture of her is on, on her book out there. I picked up that picture and I thought, I can't believe she's gone. And I had said earlier, I wish God had taken some bum off the street instead of taking my mother in an automobile accident. And I, I looked at her picture, looked at her eyes, looked at her sweet smile, and a miracle happened. The Holy Spirit of God said to me, Daniel, would you wish her back to this sin-cursed earth? He made me answer that question. I said, no, I would not. And all of a sudden, the grace of God fell upon my heart. And I rejoiced that she was in the presence of God. And I'm going to get to see her again. Amen. And as old as I am now, maybe one may not be long. I don't know. Could go at any time. A few years ago in 2013, I had a blood clot in my left leg. It went up into my heart. And um, the doctor said, somebody must have been looking out for you. And yeah, he was. The Lord was watching over me. I thought I was checking out. But God said, no, I don't want you yet. You're not done yet. Amen. But the grace of God fell upon my heart and gave me great joy and happiness. And when I preached my mother's funeral with my brothers, they all preached, and I preached, godliness with contentment is great gain. That was my mother. And I want you to have that life. I want you to have godliness. I want you to be absolutely content. Quit complaining. Be completely content with what you have. then you'll have God's great gain. Let's pray together, may we?